Okay, we're finishing up our sermon series on money. Um, in Jesus' time, there was such a like clear line of the rich and the poor and how the rich like took advantage of the poor at the, at the poor's cost, like they're, they were oppressed and abused and, and the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poor. And so it's no wonder that Jesus talked a lot about money and what his kingdom, what his kingdom is like. Because money, it affects the power dynamic in every system, in every system. Money affects the power dynamic. And so we see that in our world, right? We see that in our, our country, we see it in our cities, and we even see it at church. Like, the church, this, I have to try and get this, um, I want to get it clear, and I don't want to be personal about it, <laughs> so I'm going to talk very general, the big church. The church receives money from the givers. That's used for the day-to-day expenses, including the pastor's salaries. And so the, um, the givers are very generous in their giving. But this can make, I'm not saying this happens at Westlight, but some pastors can feel guilty because they have to depend on the givers. And they might feel like pressure to be good enough and, and so that you know we're worth uh, the pastors, not me, the pastors are worth, right, the, the giving that the givers give. So there's that, that kind of dynamic going on. Um, pastors, we've seen this, may manipulate and guilt and shame givers into giving. Uh, but the givers may subconsciously or consciously expect, have expectations for the pastors. And um, pastors may be tempted to cater to those givers. But if the pastor takes the church in a direction that maybe doesn't align with some of the givers, right? The givers might stop giving. So there's this weird power dynamic that goes on. And it's very complicated. And, and it's it's. it's it's, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So money affects that system, the religious system, but it also affects our family systems. The one, <laughs> I'm going to try not to use any names, <laughs> but the ones, no, if you have a dual income family, the family, the, whoever the two dual incomes, they don't always make the same amount of money, right? There's always one that makes more than the other. So the one who makes less money uh, is dependent on what I'm going to call the big money maker. And so that can be uncomfortable, right? It's especially hard when one of the partners is unemployed or doesn't work at all. And can you imagine how hard that must have been for like people during COVID? Like it's so stressful. But the money makers may subconsciously or consciously expect the people who make less money to do more around the house because they pay the bills. And the money maker may say and truly believe my money is our money. But over time, the money maker might get bitter and resentful and, and critical of how the, the person who makes less spends their money. And so those who make less money, they too might feel 
guilty or they start to feel inadequate. And generally speaking, this is not for all the big money makers, but generally speaking, the money makers may want to feel appreciated for being, you know, for providing financially for the family. And so they may want to hear every once in a while, thank you for, I probably never said this to Paul in 30 years of marriage, thank you, Paul, for being the big money maker in our family, right? But they want to hear that. And, and so that puts pressure on the one who makes less money to remember, oh, I gotta thank them. I gotta be, you know, show appreciation for that, for them and, and all that they do. And, and if the money maker, and I don't know, this might be true all around, but it seems like if the money maker is like, doesn't like their job, then they may be, become bitter and resentful towards the ones who make less money because they feel like they're sacrificing themselves so that they can you know, carry the financial responsibility that falls on them. And so this imbalance of power, it creates tension and it can wreak havoc on our relationships with our partners, with our children, and it's just really, really complicated and it's really hard. And, and if we just keep being passive aggressive and defensive, and it can really, we can experience hell on earth rather than heaven on earth. So what are we supposed to do? So Jesus talks a lot about this in Luke 16, um, verses one through nine. So I'm just kind of read through. He's, he's just talked to the disciples, I mean to the Pharisees and the disciples and, and all the people about hospitality. He's went through the three um, parables about the sheep and the coins and the um, lost son. And so now he's turning his direction and his attention to the disciples. So Jesus taught his disciples using this story once, so he's telling the story. Once a very rich man hired a manager to run his business and oversee all his wealth. And so this manager was probably, this guy, the rich man was super rich. He was the big money maker. And, and I didn't even talk about work. I mean, money affects the dynamics, the power dynamics at work too, right? And so this, the manager was probably a slave or a freed slave, but he definitely was of lower status. And so, um, where was I? Once a very rich man hired a manager to run his business and oversee all his wealth, um, but soon a rumor spread that the manager was wasting his master's money. So the master called him in and said, is it true that you've been mismanaging my estate? You need to provide me with a complete audit of everything you see from me. I've decided to dismiss you. So the manager, if you can imagine, he's, you know, he's going in fight, flight, or freeze mode, and he's like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? I'm finished here. I can't hide what I've done. I'm too proud to beg. And in the NIV or some of the other um, translations, he says, I, I can't do manual labor. Like, he knows that he's going to lose his status. He knows he's going to lose his job, his home, and, and he can't do manual labor, and he can't beg. So he's like, what am I supposed to do? So he says, I have an idea that will secure my future. It will win me favor and secure friends who can take care of me and help me when I get fired. <laughs> so the dishonest manager hatched a scheme and he went to everyone who owed his master money, one by one. And he asked them, how much do you owe my master? One debtor owed $20,000. And so he said to him, let me see your bill. Pay me now and we'll settle for 20% less. That's huge, right? The guy would have been so happy that he got this, he was forgiven 20% of his debt. 
The clever manager scratched out the original amount owed and reduced it by 20%. And to another who owed $200,000, he said, pay now and we'll reduce your bill by 50%. And the clever manager scratched out the original amount owed and reduced it by half. That's so much money. This, that debtor would have been so grateful and so thankful for what he did. That would have been such a huge, huge relief. And so he kept doing this, and he went to all the people who owed the master, the rich master debt. And so even though, the next verse, even though his master was defrauded when he found out about the shrewd way this manager had feathered his own nest, he, congr- he congratulated the clever scoundrel for what he'd done to provide for the future. He's like, that was pretty smart. That was pretty creative and innovative. And so Jesus continued. He says, remember this when he's talking to the disciples. The sons of darkness, those who don't know God, interact more wisely than the sons of light, those who do. Use the wealth of this world to demonstrate the friendship with God by winning friends and blessing others. Then when it runs out, your generosity will provide you with an eternal reward. You see, the manager was still fired because he was dishonest and trustworthy, but he was so smart. He understood people. He knew how people related to one another. And so by reducing the amount, again, the debtors would have been so grateful. They would have been so grateful. And so the manager forgave their debt for his best because he knew that once he did that, he would, once he got fired, he can go back to the people and be like, hey, remember? And they're like, oh, you don't have your job anymore, come stay with me. And they would have totally, you know, we were talking about, you know, Jesus was talking about hospitality. They would have invited him, invited him in and said, stay with me, you can totally stay with me. I'll feed you, I'll provide protection. Um, you know, just make yourself at home until they ran out. Then he would go to the other place. Remember me, I get, you know, I gave you 50% off, I forgive that debt. And then he would just rely on the hospitality of, of those who he had forgiven their debts. And so he understood this. And so Jesus is telling the disciples to be like them, but don't do it for your benefit, because when you do it for your benefit, like the shrewd manager, you're doing it, you're transactional. That's a very transactional type of relationship. But he said, if you do it for their benefit, then that's transformational. And so giving for your own benefit is transactional. You do this for me, and I'll do this for you. But he's like, no, that's not how relationships are. That's not how the power dynamics are in the kingdom of God. It's transformational. We're going to do this for their benefit. And hopefully, the disciples would have remembered Jesus' earlier teaching in Luke 6. He says, are you really showing true love by loving only those who love you? Even those who don't know God will do that. Are you really showing compassion when you do good deeds only to those who do good deeds to you? Even those who don't know God will, that, will do that. If you lend money only to those who you know will repay you, what credit is that to your character? Even those who don't know God will do that. Rather, love your enemies, and that could be people in your family. No, I'm scared. Um, love your enemies and continue to treat them well. When you lend money, don't despair if you are never paid back, for it's not lost. You will receive a rich reward, and you will be known as true children of the Most High God having his same nature. Be like your father who's famous for his kindness to heal even the thankless and cruel. Allow, overflow with mercy and compassion for others just as your heavenly father overflows with his mercy and compassion for all.
You see, Jesus does away with the money's effect on, uh, on the power dynamic with uh, the religious systems, the government, every socioeconomic systems, all the relational systems. He does it by his grace. His grace is unmerited favor. Giving to others without expectation to get anything in return, with no strings attached, giving no matter what. It's by grace that Jesus removes the roles of benefactor and beneficiary, rich master and um, manager, or you know, big money maker to those who make less. He invites us to choose transformation over transaction. So I'm breaking all the speaker rules. They probably said, when you do a quote, just do like two sentences. But this quote was so good. And so I, I believe it or not, I even took some words out. <laughs> so, but it's kind of long. But um, the author, Diana Butler Bass, she writes this. And she's talking about gratitude and grace. She says, in the closed cycle of debt and duty, the roles of benefactor and beneficiary are static and gifts are commodities of exchange based in transaction and control. But in the open cycle of gratitude, gifts are not commodities. Grace reminds us that every good thing is a gift, that somehow the rising of the sun and being alive are indiscriminate daily offerings to us. And then we understand that all benefactors are also beneficiaries, and all beneficiaries are benefactors. And all that we have was gifted to all of us. There would be no benefactors if they were not first the recipients of grace. In other words, gifts come before givers. We do not really give gifts. We recognize gifts, we receive them, and we pass them on. We all rely on these gifts and we share them. So God breaks down the money's effect on the power dynamics of our relationships because they exist in every relationship through his grace. Choosing transformation over transaction is a lifelong process. And it's tricky because we, we have to be able to discern when we are helping someone with our gifts or if we are enabling them. And my tendency, as you guys know, I will enable, and I don't even know I'm enabling. And so we need to talk with one another and say, hey, you know, if the beneficiary or the one who's the giver is talking to the receiver, talk about like, am I enabling you? You know, what's going on? How is this gonna help you? We have to talk to one another. And then I will tell, you know, we got to talk with our friends who know, like I'm not, you know, who are, who know what healthy and not enabling is. And man, if I give this to this, this kind of situation, um, can I, uh, is this enabling? And we could do like what Katz has been saying the last three weeks. Like we need to pray and we need to ask for discernment. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. But it's good also to talk to one another and to talk to the person that we're going to give the money to or receive the money from. If someone's gonna, like, I have a gift for you and I wanna give you this money or whatever, we need to think, is this, an, are they enabling me? <laughs> and so it's, it requires conversation and talking with one another and wisdom from one another. And there are gonna be days when 
We are going to be so gracious, and thus the money's effect of power dynamics is like not even going to be like an issue. And there are going to be days when we're going to be so bitter and irritated, and that's okay. We're not going to get get it perfect every time. We're not going to leave here and be like, oh, I heard this really great message. And so my husband and I, we're just going to be like, that power dynamic thing, that's not going to, you know. No, it's going to take time. It's, gonna, it's a long, long process. But the key is God's grace, that he creates space by his grace for us to share our feelings and experiences openly and authentically. That this is where God's grace is experienced too. This is what we call heaven, experiencing heaven together because we can talk with one another about it and be like, oh, you know, I've been kind of bitter and resentful. And then, you know, the other person's like, no, no, you haven't. No, yeah, I have. Okay, yeah. And we could just kind of like confess that or maybe I've been trying to control and manipulate our guilt. And we can love one another in our dysfunction and experience God's grace and give grace to one another. Because it's not that these people are bad. It's just the result of money's effect on the power dynamics in our relationships. It's part of the, how the system is. And we have the choice to just, are we going to choose transformation or are we going to choose transaction? Are we going to have expectations or are we going to... Um, be gracious and say, no, no it's going to be no matter what, no strings attached. So how do we choose transformation and become people of grace? By trying to be more gracious. No, it doesn't work by why are trying to do it. We need to become people of grace by receiving God's grace. And it's so hard receiving, especially something that's unmerited. We're so used to like earning or uh, working for it or reciprocating, right? Like Christmas is coming up and if someone gives you a gift, you're going to be like, oh, what if we just said thank you for the gift? Rather than, oh, now what am I going to get them? <laughs> you know, how much did they spend? That's transactional. But transformational would be giving someone a gift. And if they don't give you a gift back, that's okay. No strings attached. You just wanted to bless them. And if someone gives you a gift, you don't have to feel like they, I need to reciprocate because that's transactional. You can just say thank you and not worry about, are they going to think I'm bad because I didn't give anything back? No, that's, trans, that's transactional. We want to choose transformation over transaction. And so how do we receive God's grace? It's so hard. And it takes practice. And it takes vulnerability. Receiving is so hard. But I thought we could spend some time together this morning and, and just sit in the presence of God and one another and just receive. Try to open up our hearts and just receive um, um, God's love and his grace. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as you are in your seats, whether you're at home, I don't know which camera to look at, or outside, um, just get comfortable in your seats and just... Maybe take some, maybe, can we turn the lights on? Maybe we can take a few deep breaths and just pause.
And we could just thank Jesus for his love and for his grace that's unmerited and unconditional. And we may think, I don't deserve his love or gifts, or that we're not good enough. But Jesus says, my love for you is unmerited. There's nothing we can do or not do to make Jesus love us any more or any less. Let's just sit with that. Jesus, you're so gentle and you're so kind. to money, it's such a hard, such a hard topic to even think about. But maybe if money brings up feelings of guilt or shame, Jesus, you tell us that your grace is more than enough. brings up feelings of bitterness and resentment. Jesus, you tell us that your grace is more than enough. And maybe money has been an expression of self-sufficiency and doing things on your own and not depending on others, not wanting to receive. Jesus, you tell us that your grace is more than enough for us. Maybe money brings up feelings of inadequacy and guilt.
Holy Spirit remind you that yes, His grace is more than enough for us. Jesus, you know us and you deeply and completely love us. response for me, uh, you know, money to me represents an x-ray into your spiritual life. And an x-ray shows what's inside. And so the way you use money or the way that, that it it's, uh, affects people is a uh, way in which it shows what's coming out inside of your heart. So a lot of times we can lie to ourselves and we can think, oh, we're a kind person or we're, uh, we don't ever want to cheat anybody. But if we look at our money and the way we spend our money, it will tell us whether or not that's a true statement. It will tell us whether or not we are kind. It will tell us whether or not we don't cheat. And so I would invite you to think about what Pastor Lori said about uh, the use of money is not to be transactional, but transformational. Because if you just look at individual transactions, then you can kind of lie to yourself. But if you look at overall and the, the, the point in which all those transaction points to, that's where you're going to see if it's really transforming or not. So uh, the other thing I wanted to say is uh, there are survival skills and life skills. And so being able to handle money is a survival skill. We live in a broken world, so we need to be able to, to handle our finances and things in order to survive. But God never intended us to just survive in this world. He intended us to live in it. And so to the extent that we can allow our survival skills to be transformed into life skills is where God wants us to move with the way we operate. And so uh, I know Kotz mentioned that uh, we don't want to have this series about uh, giving to Westlight or, or things. Um, the survival of Westlight does depend on funding. That's just the reality. But the life of Westlight does not depend on the funding. The life of Westlight depends on whether or not you're being transformed. And so what our goal is, is to be able to see that what we're doing here is transforming you. And so, like I said, it's not an individual transaction, but it's an overall pattern. And 
the pattern here has been very generous, and to me that represents health, and so I'm grateful for that. Uh, the thing about health is it's not a static state. Like, you can be healthy one day, but then you can get ill next. And it's, so it's a, it's a continual process. And so the series and things about money is about being able to be wise in looking at where your life is headed. How are you handling your money? Because as Kotz mentioned, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so you need to be looking at where is not just a single transaction, but the overall pattern of the transactions. And is it transformational or not? So any, do we have any questions? <laughs> if not, we can, uh, we invite you to, if you have questions that you want to talk about individually, we welcome those. Uh, if we want to receive prayer, uh, we'll pray with you uh, because that can be a point to uh, start something in even the world of finance uh, because God, God knows all of those things and he can take care of you. Okay? Let me... Uh, read from the book of Jude and let this be your assurance that uh, the God who loves you will never leave you and will always be there for you. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen.